Chapter 1 For me, the decade of the 1940s didn't end on New Year's Eve 1949. Nothing changed except the date on my checks, and I didn't catch that for two days. Hat brims stayed wide. Suit coats looked like inverted grocery sacks, just as they had since before Pearl Harbor. Cars remained bulbous and ugly, with bad heaters and dashboard radios whose big dials and lightning bolt logos would have made Buck Rogers feel at home. Truman's narrow little butt and narrower little mind were still firmly planted in the White House, and Woody Herman booked in at the Walled Lake Casino every summer. No, the fifth decade of the 20th century ended for me 14 months later on a flinty cold afternoon in February 1951, when I stood in a crowd in front of the downtown J.L. Hudson's and saw Frankie Orr's face on six television screens at the same time. His appearance shocked me. I don't know why, but of all the people I'd met in my newspapering days, Francis Xavier Oro was the one I hadn't expected to age. I had seen him once only, in the private dining room of the old Griswold house, and what happened there that night had burned his image into the retina of my memory. For twenty years he had remained the slender, dark, wavy-haired young gangster in full evening dress, enjoying a filet mignon prepared the way they used to prepare it and don't anymore, streaming mahogany-colored juice and as tender as a man's grip on life. This elderly Italian sweating under the harsh lights, flaccid-cheeked, baggy-eyed, and spotted like old cheese, belonged in a vegetable patch in Sicily, propped on a hoe. Somehow he had stumbled into a carnival booth and had his picture taken with his head stuck through a hole cut into a life-size blow-up of a body wearing a $200 suit. The suit so far as could be made out on a ten-inch black-and-white screen, was gray or blue, and with a tiny check that flared and left its ghost on the lens when he moved, which he did often, fidgeting in a chair not designed for comfort, and certainly not inclined that way as long as it faced five senators and a government council, and, by proxy, every housewife in the Detroit broadcast area whose ironing board stood before the rabbit-eared box in the living room. The occasion was the Detroit stop on the National Roadshow, sponsored by the...